Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP, where we explore game-changing technology and strategies with leading experts with the goal of maximizing the value of data across your organization. If you haven't done so already, please follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel to stay tuned in. Like me, most of the listeners are passionate about doing more to fight climate change, ocean pollution, and inequality. However, when you don't have the right data, how can you really see the impact of these global problems? Individuals and companies want to do the right thing, but don't always know where and how to start. With this conversation, we hope to shine some more light on what's going on and empower you to start acting now. I'm your guest host of today, Stephanie. Today's Let's Talk Data podcast is all about this. So I'm excited to have with me Emily Penn, a sustainability activist and skipper, to talk about what she's seen on her journeys around the world and how she's improving our future. And Raguna Ramanathan, our Chief Revenue Officer at SAP Business Technology Platform, who can guide us on the ways the company data and technology can help. Hi, great to be on the call with both of you. Thank you. Now, Emily, how did you become a sustainability activist? Was this something that you always wanted to do? It actually wasn't. I originally trained as an architect and I was looking for a way to get from England to a new job as an architect in Australia. And I wanted to get there without taking an aeroplane to minimize my carbon footprint and ended up hitchhiking on a boat around the planet. I crossed the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean, and I just couldn't believe what I saw along the way. Um, There was one morning when we stopped the boat so that we could go for a wash over the side. So we jumped over the side of the boat, and as I came up to the surface of the water, I saw a toothbrush and a cigarette lighter and a bottle top just floating by. And at the time, we were 800 miles from nearest land. In fact, the closest people to us were in the space station in orbit above our heads. And yet there was this evidence of human life and waste in the most remote part of our planet. And I couldn't really look back. (laughs) So I ended up having to put the architecture career on pause and continue to spend time in the Pacific tackling this issue of plastic and waste and then went on to discover uh, what was really going on in these accumulation zones in the middle of our oceans. Wow, that's amazing. And what is your your current view about the the current situation on ocean pollution and and, and global warming maybe as well, right? It's all kind of related in the end. What have you learned from your travel and your research so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on that first journey, you know, we saw the plastic. We would then stop at these small islands and we found that locals were struggling to catch fish because commercial fishing vessels had emptied their waters. They were struggling to grow food in the ground because the rising sea levels had caused their soil to become so salty that their crops wouldn't grow. We saw fish populations declining. We saw coral reefs bleaching. We even sailed through the Northwest Passage in the Arctic, a a stretch of of water that would never have been possible 100 years ago is now possible because of the amount of ice that's melted up there. 
And so, you know, we saw all of these things and then we started collecting data and we started to understand more so that we could then monitor really what was happening, particularly on the plastic issue. You know, I'm sorry to say that it does seem to be getting worse and worse year on year that we've been out there in the last 15 years. And we are seeing a continual decline, despite the amount of awareness that we now have. And we're still struggling to translate that awareness into action that can then be seen in the ocean. Well, that's a good point, right? So how have you worked to collect that data in the past and now to really see what you can learn from that and and, and has that helped make an impact to, to act differently maybe even? Yeah, absolutely. At the beginning, when we were studying plastic, it was first about going to these so-called islands, these islands of plastic, maybe something that we could um, clean up and, you know, bring back to land. But when we got out there on these research missions and we started looking at it, we quickly realized that the plastic breaks down into these tiny fragments and what we call microplastics. And so the first part of our data collection really sat around trying to just understand the composition of the plastic in the ocean and that the majority of it is um, smaller than your little fingernail, you know, less than five millimeters big. And that was an important realization because it means that it's very hard then to clean up um, when it's that small. And we now know that there's 171 trillion pieces of microplastic in our ocean, both floating on the surface, but also um, has sunk you know, down to the depths where we can't even really measure what's going on down there. So, so that was an important first bit of the research. Um, and then when it went on from there, you know, this realization that actually um, it's getting into the food chain because these pieces are so small. Um, our focus switched to understanding more about health. Um, we actually, I ended up doing a, a test on my own body where I looked at some of the chemicals in plastic um, that might have all made their way into the food chain and discovered that of these 35 chemicals that are banned by the United Nations, I had 29 of them in my own blood. And when we then look at how we solve the problem, I think, you know, that's when our focus shifted to, we need to identify the sources of this plastic. So then the work went more, you know, detective <laughs> focused because most of the plastic in our sea is completely anonymous. We don't know where those chemicals or those plastic came from because it doesn't have a stamp on it that says the company that manufactured it or really any way of telling and so we have to look at the morphology we have to look at the color the size but we also can look at the polymer type and that gives us a lot of clues as to what that fragment of plastic might have been used for when it was originally manufactured and so that polymer analysis is really important. And that data has been fascinating to look at, particularly when you look region by region, because we see quite a lot of variation in the different types of polymers that are being found in different parts of the world. And it can really help indicate where those main sources of pollution are locally. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe, Raghu, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you, because as a leader in the technology from SAP, you've been talking, obviously, with companies about how they can reach their sustainability goals. And one of the topics um, that usually is a first step uh, in attacking that is getting the right data and, and having the right uh, visibility around that. So can you maybe share your perspective on the data challenge that companies even might have uh, not having that right visibility to even start looking at the problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I was just listening to Emily, right? And and uh, it's fascinating. It's alarming. Uh, and and you see that first of all, we need to understand what the problem is, uh, because you think it's a certain problem, and then your definition changes when you have more data. Uh, and that's my experience as well. Uh, what I say usually, Stephanie, is that about 80% of the data in any company, in any enterprise is dark, dark data, right? And the challenge is, how do you get that to become bright data that allows you to understand what the issues are first? I'll give you the example of Costain, right? Costain is a digital infrastructure company based here in the UK. Uh, they work with, um, uh, for example, Transport for London and other, other customers. Uh, and they're looking at how to optimize the entire transportation networks, uh, lower the carbon footprint. And this is what they discovered, right? They always say when they worked with these customers, the visibility of the data was very poor. Uh, and they use SAP, or you could also use other similar solutions. And you improve the visibility from 80% not being visible to 80% actually being visible, right? This allows them to model the entire network uh, simulate potential solutions. So, so that's very key. Uh, the other big problem in addition to visibility is the quality of the data, right? Sometimes you, you would say, okay, now I have visibility to the data, but when you read the data, you can't make head or tail of the data because it doesn't correlate, it doesn't, it's not nicely tabulated, referenced. So lots of our customers spend a lot of time cleaning up the data. That's pretty important as well. Uh, one, one favorite example for me is um, NHL. I think I think we're all sports fans, or at least I am. And NHL is a big uh, user of SAP data technologies. And uh, again, similar to what Emily said, they were trying to become a sustainable sports brand. And they figured out through data collection that a lot of the problems or a lot of the sources of emission were actually directly correlated to the venues themselves, right? It could be triangulated. Uh, then they spent a lot of time collecting and cleaning up the data around the venues, which allows them to uh, better provide solutions to reduce their carbon footprint as well. Right. Yeah. So it's not only within the company, it's also everything else around it, the complete end-to-end -end value chain that they look at. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, well, Emily, you you also speak with the comp with a lot of companies, right? Including you actually spoke at the SAP Energy Conference in Switzerland this year. What do you recommend to companies that are looking to reduce plastic waste, for example, going forward with your uh, example for a uh, conversation from earlier? Where where can they start and what are some of the things that they can start doing differently, maybe? I mean, I, I think, as Raggy said, you know, it's first about really understanding your own footprint and, and being able to access that data because, you know, we can't change what we don't know. So that visibility on the waste of the, the company and the supply chain is, is very important. And, you know, making sure that we do look at that whole supply chain, the whole waste chain. Um, I did a, a project recently with a company where we were looking at a TV remote and we discovered that about five times the amount of plastic in a TV remote was discarded in the process of making it through waste materials, through packaging of different components at various points of the supply chain. And so you've got to make sure that you're, you know, being able to see that unseen waste that you're creating. Um, and then, of course, what happens to it at the end as well? What's the end of life plan? Um, so, so getting visibility on that whole supply chain is, is absolutely key. 
And I think it varies from industry to industry. You know, it, it might be that most of your waste is in the product design um, or in the material sourcing. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot to look at around energy use as well. Um, again, when we're importing things, we, we often leave the carbon emissions behind <laughs> and we, we sort of forget to include them in when we're sort of making our calculations. And then even thinking about your own office, you know, when it comes to plastic pollution, uh, just looking around you right now <laughs> and the amount of plastic, single use plastic that might be in the office and um, within that environment, that there are so many different places to start. And um, I, I think that's what's so, so key about solving these issues is that there's, there's rarely one solution. Um, but that actually the fact that there are hundreds of solutions, you know, we can be doing um, something seemingly quite small in our, um, you know, immediate environment that we can start today. And then at the same time, we can be thinking long term, big picture, how we radically change the products we're making in the future. Yeah. And talking about the carbon footprint, where Raghu and, and yourself touched upon, how, how do you feel about the progress to reach the net zero by 2050? What's your view on the most effective methods to reduce emissions and stop climate changes from, from getting worse, really? Because they're already a lot. <laughs> I agree. You know, it, it's absolutely it's going to take pretty radical action to be able to reach these targets by 2050. And I think, you know, when we look at whether it's climate change, plastic pollution, there's no silver bullet solution. And I think a lot of a lot of us, a lot of politicians, they, they just want to say, okay, there, there must be one easy thing that we can do. We can implement a policy and it's going to be straightforward and it's going to happen. And unfortunately, that solution doesn't exist. And in a way, we're also not looking for that solution. Because if we pick one thing to do instead of using fossil fuels or using plastic, we will create just a big problem somewhere else. And so, you know, really, I think um, to be able to achieve these goals, um, we need to diversify. We need these hundreds of different solutions and we need innovators, investors, creators doing things differently than we've done them before. Because at the end of the day, greenhouse gases are being emitted literally every second of every day on every corner of this planet. And because of that it needs to be solved in many many different ways in many many different places and so I just sort of have this this hierarchy where the first thing we need to do is just stop using fossil fuel in any way that we can in our life in our company just avoid creating emissions in the first place if using energy is completely unavoidable then we go to step two which is use renewable energy use clean energy. If you have to use it, make sure that it's renewable. And then finally, if you can't even do that, for example, air travel at the moment, very difficult to do using any kind of green energy. Then number three, you have got to recapture your emissions that you're putting out into the atmosphere. And that needs to be done through restoration of natural world to be able to absorb that CO2. So that kind of three point plan, but really in that order is essential. So we don't just go straight to offsetting our emissions. The first thing we do is try and get our emissions as close to zero as possible. And that needs to happen across all three sectors. It needs to happen through individuals, businesses and governments. And the only way we're going to get to these goals is if all three of those sectors are working together. 
Thank you. And well, Raghu, I mean, I know SAP is working hard on that itself, but also have you seen a shift in the conversations with our customers in this regard? And if so, what is it? Yeah, so just picking off from what Emily was saying, I also strongly feel there needs to be action across individuals, across governments, across enterprises, right? I probably have more influence and have direct access more to the business side, right? So I can comment less on the individual and, and the government side where Emily, I think, has articulated very clearly what needs to be done. On the business side, I'm seeing indeed a, a complete shift. A lot of times what used to be a nice fashionable conversation is now a real conversation with the leaders of the business. I genuinely feel a change. Uh, and also, um, I think it, it's a part of the brand that they're trying to build. A lot of them understand that the customers of the future are expecting that to be a core part of the service that is being provided, right? So it's critical to their competitive success. And this is also changing their mindsets for the better. Now, to give you some examples, right, I really think business can do a lot. Uh, to complement what Emily said on the individual side as well. One customer, for example, we are working with, uh, which is in probably an industry which is, um, if I can say it that way, uh, a big contributor for waste and pollution in this economy. It's a building products company, right? It's an Italian company called ARPA. Uh, and we know that population is expanding. There's a lot of demand for housing, new construction, right? And, and um, if you study this industry very closely, there's a lot of energy wastage, water wastage. Uh, Emily spoke about the TV remote control, right? Similar problem, lots of scrap and uh, pr production that's never used, uh, which in the overall scheme of things, you, you just wonder. Uh, so what, what, we, what they have done, which is remarkable, is they've invested in a modern, innovative factory of the future. Right, with 1,600 sensors, automatic remote control vehicles which go about their jobs, and all these sensors are feeding that data uh, into an SAP platform which allows them to optimize in real time based on their visibility, the energy consumption, the water consumption, uh, and basically they've almost eliminated the scrap wastage to zero. Right. Uh, so, so this is, for me, a blueprint for what a good industry contributor can do. And this is just an example from one industry, but I see this being multiplied across. That's that's fantastic. And I, I think it will give them a competitive advantage as well, right? Where in the end, customers and, and, and investors are looking at that as well. So that's, that's fantastic. Exactly. Great example. Yes, very encouraging. Um, so Emily, you've actually developed a platform called Shift, uh, an application that allows everyone to find kind of a meaningful way to create long-term change. Can you maybe talk a little bit about this initiative and, and maybe any of the examples that people have shared with you that show that they've really made a difference either locally or globally? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the platform's called Shift. You can find it at shift.how. And it is a collection of hundreds of solutions to tackle plastic pollution. And really, it helps people, whether it's businesses or individuals, to navigate these hundreds of solutions using a series of filters. Because the idea that there's so many things that we can do can feel quite overwhelming um, and it's hard to know where to start. And so it's really trying to kind of overcome that problem. And um, it's actually been used in 146 countries so far. Um, and businesses can 
add their own solutions. Um, so if there's a solution that isn't in the database that you've got, something you've invented, you can then add it so that other people can find it. So we have everything on there from um, a company that has made a sort of plastic substitute out of algae. We have got ways that you can kind of ban exporting waste, you know, everything to kind of government policies, um, examples of how um, technology can actually replace packaging. Um, and this idea of, of kind of naked cosmetics and cleaning products that come dehydrated that you sort of add water to. And, you know, it's really varied. Um, something that you can do in your home, you can do in the office, or you can do in your supply chain. And I think, you know, most of all, a lot of the examples that they're, they're really trying to eliminate single use plastic, which at the end of the day is, um, is what we find out there in the ocean typically is so much single use plastic. And so many of the solutions are trying to be a stepping stone to get there. But they're also the, the idea of the platform is really helping to encourage people to say, um, we don't all need to do the same thing when we it comes to tackling these global problems. And, um, you know, we, we don't need everyone to do everything. We just need everyone to do something. And it's partly a case of asking yourself, well, what's my superpower? What's the one thing that I can do? What opportunity do I have that's unique, whether it's um, because of the job that I have or because of my personal situation? You know, what influence do I have? And then it's it's about picking something that makes the most sense for that unique opportunity. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer at the end of the day, it's going to be the power of all of those actions, individual actions. And when I say individual, I also mean definitely as a business, you know, as a member of a business, you know, but we all have a different role to play, even in one company. Um, every department has a different way that they can actually make an impact. And really, that's what the platform is getting at. Fantastic. That's yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Well, maybe Raguna, maybe last question for you and, and, and for the listeners today. What is the ask to them? What what can we ask them to do today that can help in this journey? Yeah, so first of all, let, let me start by just um, emphasizing what Emily said, right? I don't think this is a problem with one silver bullet, right? I think I think we need to start to think of hundreds, thousands of solutions. So definitely go to Emily's platform, right? But there are other platforms out there too. And, and just think about what you can do individually. That's a starting point. Uh, I can also say from the business side, right, who I work with closely, uh, start to tackle the data problem, right? Start to create that visibility, the data quality, which helps you frame your problem correctly. That's absolutely important, but also go one step beyond because what I'm finding is that first you master your own business within your boundaries, right? Your four walls, how to optimize it, make it sustainable, but then you have a completely different impact outside your four walls as well. Uh, I'll give you an example. We're working with a a water company in Belgium, right? They wanted to be a smart water company. They used a lot of data technologies to solve water leakages within their four walls, but they found the bigger issue is how the end customers, the citizens were using the water, right? Are you filling and refilling your swimming pools, for example, right? Uh, so, so they invested a lot in educating the end customer, giving them the tools and the visibility, which changed the way they work with water, right? Or, or um, I'll go back to the NHL example that I said. Uh, one of one of what NHL found is that the biggest contributors to venue the carbon footprint 
was not just the infrastructure in the venue, but the fans coming to the venue. How are they transporting themselves, right? So, so this led to a broader thinking about educating the fans as well. So, so I think that would be my last piece of advice is once you've tackled your own uh, company enterprise within its boundaries, think about the larger footprint of your enterprise and business and how you can shape the entire value chain. Absolutely. Emily, would you like to add anything to that? I absolutely agree. You know, that transparency, I think, is is absolutely critical. And if we can um, really closely assess the problem, just like we do when we go out there um, into the ocean, you know, but in this case, it's within the your own business, um, then we're going to have much better odds at being able to solve it um, when it comes down to it. Fantastic. I mean, this is this is a great, great conversation. Thank you so much, Emily and Raghu, for your time. It was really a pleasure. And hopefully we can encourage everyone to not only look at your own, but also indeed uh, to the people around you, whether it's partners, uh, family, friends or colleagues or employees, um, we can all do our part. So thank you very much. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check out the show notes for additional links to information. And please subscribe or follow to join us on the next episode of Let's Talk Data presented by SAP.